0: Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Before I introduce my guests this week, I wanted to let you know about an exciting project that I'm currently working on. In a short while, I'll be launching the inaugural Landscape Photography World Awards, searching for the best landscape photography out there and showing it off to the world. I can't say too much more about it at this point, as there are still some details to sort out, but I have lined up some very well-respected judges and prizes that will be well worth the cost of entry. This is by way of a celebration of the first year of the podcast. I'm very happy to say the podcast audience is growing steadily, and I'd like to thank everyone who listens and follows LPW on social media. It's wonderful seeing feedback from many of you and how much you're enjoying these conversations. Anyway, on with the show. This time I'm talking to Drew Geraci about his amazing landscape images. Drew is a filmmaker, director of photography and owner of District 7 Media. He's a world-class time-lapse cinematographer, Sony artisan of imagery and Dell brand partner. Acey is best known for the opening sequence of the House of Cards series on Netflix, alongside his work on West Side Story, working with Steven Spielberg. He's also worked with Red Bull, Top Golf, Carti, NFL Network, X Games, Corona, Netflix, A and E, Apple and Nike. On top of all that, he also loves getting into nature and taking amazing landscape images, showing the environment without human intervention, as well as the built landscape. In our chat, he talks about what motivates him to keep making wonderful images, how he has pushed himself to bring the unseen into view, and how he transitioned from his military service to civilian life as a full-time photographer and filmmaker. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Drew. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm doing great, Grant. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fantastic. It's the start of a new week and uh, really enjoying life at the moment. I just got back from a uh, a trip over to the UK for eight weeks, which was uh, absolutely marvellous. Oh, fantastic. I'm
1: jealous. I haven't been out of the uh, the US since last year, but uh, I'm glad you're making your rounds. That's great.
0: Oh, let's, it's my first trip out for uh, a couple of years. Not, uh, 2019, I was over in Canada, I think was the last time I was uh, out and about. So. Beautiful Canada. Where'd you go? Uh, Banff, Yellowknife. I
1: was just going to say that I knew you were a Banff guy.
0: Calgary, <laughs> Vancouver, stayed West Coast mostly and uh, up in the Northwest Territory, went up to do a bit of uh, the old um, Aurora chasing uh, in Yellowknife as well. Yeah. Did you capture some good stuff? Uh, yes. Um, I only got one night to do it, though. We were up there for three nights, and the first cool. two nights were, the first night was um, uh, partly cloudy with a really, really weak Aurora that lasted yeah. like 10 minutes. That's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> and then the second night was socked in with cloud. And the third night was uh, looking pretty bleak because it had snowed all day and there was lots of cloud. And then about uh, one in the morning, it just cleared up and uh, the Aurora started and went off, which was quite nice. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't strength 10 or anything like that, but it was uh, it was good enough. Yeah,
1: that's great. That's how it always works, too. It's like the last day and the last hour, like (laughs) the heavens opened up and out came, you know, there's the Aurora. Finally, you got it. But That's uh, that's
0: great. It's never there when you want it. <laughs> it's never
1: there when you want it. Never. It's every production I've ever been on. So.
0: <laughs> so enough enough about me. Talk to me about your uh, your story. What's uh, the the Drew? <sighs> my generation? story. Geez, there's there's so much to this story. Well,
1: uh, I'm going to do the abridged version of you know just my little That's backstory. Fine. But uh, I'm a um, uh, I worked in the military. I was in the U.S. Navy as a combat photographer and mass communication specialist um, for about ten years. Uh, working for both photo and video, uh, producing, editing, doing everything and everything. It was fantastic. But uh, I decided that um, I was going to take a leave of absence from the, uh, the military service and kind of go out on my own and do some of my own stuff. And that's really when I started tinkering around with um, time lapse and HDR time lapse and other forms of kind of like specialty um, photography, as you might say. And this was way back in like 2010, 2011. So a lot of this stuff really wasn't mainstream at the time. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was brand new. For a lot of people, it was brand new. And, you know, when you're putting out time-lapse videos like that, you're getting, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views because no one's ever seen it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of what led me to my next endeavor, which was creating my own business, which uh, we just, I, or we, I just celebrated my 10 years this month. Well, uh, congratulations. Thanks, man. It's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Um, But yeah, I've been doing 10 years doing um, second unit cinematography, time loss photography, high speed aerials for TV and film and commercial advertising, Um, done a ton of feature movies, tons of TV series. Um, And really, it's been an awesome experience. And it's kind of led me to believe, like, where do I go next from this? Because I've gotten to work with people like David Fincher, Steven Spielberg. Alejandra, uh, in Naratu, and it's all of these people that I grew up loving, and I'm doing work with them. So it's just really um, phenomenal. I'm like, Oh, my God, I'm only, you know, 38. Where, where do I go from now from here? You know, so it's kind of like, uh, trying to figure out what I'm gonna do next. But um, life has been great. And a lot of the things that I'm doing now really just revolve around helping other people doing a lot of uh, education based tutorials and things so that I can share the knowledge that I've gained over the past 20 years and um, give it to others.
0: Fantastic. So what got you started? Was it the career in the Navy or were you into photography before then?
1: You know, I was always into photography and videography. Actually, I was much more into uh, videography before um, photography. And when I was in high school, I uh, took a couple independent uh, video classes and ended Mm -hmm. up getting um, a full ride to college and having to make the choice of, hey, do I go to college or do I take on on a different um, challenge? And I ended up going to the Navy instead. So um, I was a, a young 17-year-old Drew <laughs> joining the U.S. <laughs> Navy as a photographer, and um, that's kind of where everything started. But, you know, every, every year that I'm doing this, I get a much larger appreciation for the art, and um, I also get an appreciation for how much effort has to go into learning new things and um, staying fresh with things because it's not something you, like, learn overnight. It just takes – a massive amounts of time to like really hone in on what you want to do and where you know, where you want to go, because, Absolutely. um, I mean, for me, video was my ultimate goal, but mm. now I'm doing a lot of time-lapse photography and high-speed stuff. And with the time-lapse photography, it's all still-based photography. So, yep. um, you're creating, Photography and then turn transforming it into video. So it's something that I just love to do, and I've become sort of a pro at it. I, uh, <laughs> without tooting my own horn, I I've I've mastered the uh, the workflow process of it, and uh, have really done a lot of legwork to make it as perfect as can be. So you know when we get those high end cinema directors and whatnot, we can deliver a really great product.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I guess I want to touch a little bit on the the, the why for a few of those things um you know what what is it that really motivates you creatively
1: creatively it's a really hard thing um you know I never really grew up idolizing any one photographer or any one director or whomever because I really always wanted to create my own art and when I was in school one of the biggest things was like I didn't really want to replicate or emulate anyone else because I wanted it to be my own so um it's been a learning process for what I've done and everything that I've done has just been basically on my own in a trial and error kind of system. Um, So that's what kind of really motivates me to continue doing what I'm doing because I love to push the limits. I love to go out there and challenge myself and say, hey, you know, what has been done? What hasn't been done? How can I do it better? Um, And how can I put myself in a position um, that I can leverage the the work that I'm doing uh, so I can get paid at the same time? Because (laughs) one thing in this industry is you can be creative and you can create content, but if you're not monetizing that content, um, you're just going to be a poor artist. And unfortunately yeah. in today's society, you can't really do both. So no, um, right. I think I found like a, a cheeky little way to get paid and also have a lot of fun.
0: That's nice. Yeah. So what's your approach to, I guess, particularly landscape photography as it relates to experience recording versus uh Trying to do something artistic, so you know how do you how do you take something from being okay? Well, here's a nice scene of some mountains and a stream yeah. or whatever to being you know, something that's, you know, that next level. Well,
1: I think it all obviously revolves around capturing those moments that you normally wouldn't see. So if you have this grand vista landscape, yeah, it can be beautiful during the day, but what happens at night or what happens in the early morning as that light's creeping up and that shadow and the the sun is like peering over like the, the, the sky and, you know, all this lights cascading across everything. Those are the things that I really look for. Um, and I try to find unique ways to... Um, kind of utilize that um for my particular my for my timeless photography and just for my regular photography as well um but it's really just about going out there and trying to find different perspectives as any photographer will ever tell you it's all about perspective and it's about lighting but it's true it really is about lighting and perspective um and sometimes you have to get low sometimes you have to get high sometimes you have to you know get in the tree and, and do whatever you want but Um, it's really about finding those unique locations and unique setups that really sell the shot and can really um, convey uh, grandeur and uh, the message that you want to project project to your, to your audience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So are you going into the field with a concept of what it is that you're trying to capture or do you tend to, react to what's going on around you and the 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 light and uh, and whatever so is it more a question
1: grant yeah i know is it
0: is it is it it, it planning and you know
1: (laughs) i mean there's always planning with everything i do i mean that's the one thing i've learned just starting off is that everything requires a tremendous amount of planning even if you think it's going to be the simplest of shots it really does require quite a lot of planning so Pardon me. I will, I'll always approach something, um, with a plan in mind. I'll have like an objective, like, Oh, I want to try to get this or that. But then at the same time, I'll always keep my eye open for something else that might be happening because that light could change in just a special way where it's, you know, lighting up an object that I never thought about. It was going to light up or something and then switching positions and then shooting that instead. Um, and I would definitely say for anything that's like commercialized, of course I have a plan. I've got a whole storyboard laid out. I've got um, what I'm trying to achieve, what I will
0: achieve. And you're usually, you know, usually in it. the commercial world, yeah. you're getting told what to shoot to yeah, a Yeah, you're getting extent.
1: told what to shoot. Um, but, you know, in those instances, I just got off a project working with Disney and I had that creative freedom where they're like, Hey, we don't have a shot list. We don't have anything. Wow. We just want you okay. to go out there and create beautiful art. And I was like, What's the sounds fantastic. So um, yeah, it really made for a much more pleasurable um, project. And I think those are probably my favorite when it comes to those kinds of projects is where I get creative freedom to do what I want. Um, but at the same time, it's also pretty rewarding to be able to do like a, a scene by scene shot based scripted um, project as well. So yeah. I can't yeah. complain either way.
0: How, how do you deal with uh, disappointment, I guess, when you know, you're know you under time pressure and uh, on those commercial shoots, somebody's saying, um, you know, I need this shot. And, you know, they're, they're asking for sun when the, the fog's just rolled in, you know, yeah. how, how do you deal with that? Let me tell that? you something.
1: Yeah, as any photographer knows, there's always disappointment. And um, <laughs> you could shoot everything perfectly, have everything set up the way that you thought it was going to happen, and then the weather changes. And that's one thing that I think, Um, You really have to be able to um, pivot around um, as well and have backups because in this industry, it happens all the time, Um, especially when you're shooting commercials or film and TV. You are given the time that you're given. And most producers and productions don't want to pay for the extra time where you would, you know, you'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, if we just had an extra hour here, we could create even more magic. Um, Or if we wait a day and push it, you know, we'll have the perfect weather. But um, you just kind of have to take it as the, the ebb and flow um, and, you know, just do what you can. And in most instances though, I will say that 99% of the time, even if the weather looks like it's awful, the shot still turns out really well. Um, yeah. And we'll throw on um, or I'll throw on my own little special like pizzazz to make it look even better in the bo- <laughs> Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, filters do an amazing job, but uh, uh,
0: fair enough. <laughs> I guess, you know, talking about that uh, special pizzazz, um, you know, you've got a fairly defined style. How did that develop over time? And is it still developing? Or Oh, my God. The style is always developing. Um, Um, And I I think
1: that's kind of what sets me apart from a lot of other time-lapse photographers and just other cinematographers um, out there as well. Because for me, it's about, you know, capturing that light, capturing that subject in the moment, in camera, but then the real magic, is when you take it back to post and you really put on your 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 own touch of color, your own touch of, you know, lights, darks, midtones, and really you know give it shape. And that's what I love about this industry is because you can create something that looks completely different in camera from what you create in post. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's having that forethought of knowing, hey, I know that I can push the highlights or I can push the midtones here, and when I bring it back into post, it's going to look absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. and all of those things correlate together to create a perfect image um, and in my instance that's just kind of my style I'm, I'm definitely I love color I love vibrancy I love um, really immersing the user in um, in color and mm. I, I don't do a lot of dull things most of my stuff is very vivid um, and that's what I love to do yeah
0: cool so talk to me a bit about leaving the navy and making the choice to go full-time and you know head out on your own and you're in your own business was that an easy decision or was it something that you time? super
1: easy decision yeah okay <laughs> yeah. i mean they wanted me to stick around they're like oh we're gonna pay you money to stay around because you're, you know you're a valuable asset i'm like yeah piss off i'm done um <laughs> one of the biggest reasons why i left the navy and the military in general is just because people are always in leadership positions that Above you, obviously, but they Mm -hmm. don't know what the hell they're talking about. So they'll task you with something and they'll be like, Oh, you got to go do this and you have to do it in this amount of time. And you sit there and you're like, This isn't even possible. Like, what are you guys like talking about? This is complete bullshit. (laughs) And then you tell them it's complete bullshit, and then they come back to you, like, oh no, no, it's possible. I've seen you do it. And I'm like, the hell you have. Um, so I just didn't want to be put in a position where somebody who was a mindless drone and also an idiot was in charge of me telling me what to do, how to do my job when they didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about. So <laughs> um, that's, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a little passionate. I, I will say, I love the military and I love the Navy and I love everyone I've ever met in the Navy, but I really despise the leadership and the way that it's set up because it's not meant for creatives. It's not meant for people that are vocal and are good at what they do. In all honesty, it's about um, who's There's a lot of black people? and white yeah there's a lot there's a lot of black and white so um and i was like a nice big red stain on that black and white so yeah uh, it was uh it was great but uh, i i didn't really have any loss or feeling of loss after leaving the navy and it was really quite honestly a a relief um getting into the civilian world and starting starting to do what i wanted to do and put out the projects that i wanted to put out and uh, i think it's worked out really well
0: yeah so when 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 you you say you you know, started, wanted to start working on projects of, of your own. Was, was that the main goal that drove you towards setting up your own business or was it something
1: <laughs> up, what, other than needing
0: it, to eat? Just to be blunt. I mean, it was survival.
1: Um, so I was working at a, a newspaper at the time after I got out of the military and it was a, I got a really decent job. I was a, a multimedia director for yep. the Washington times and um, I did that for three years and then they laid off the entire staff. And then I, I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? But thankfully being the resourceful person that I am, I started my business uh, about a year into my working at the, at the paper because I could see the writing on the wall. I yeah. knew that it wasn't going to be long until yeah. they were going to like lay off staff. And I was like, you know what? I want to have like a little safety net here. So I started my business. I was running my business part-time, obviously whenever my off time was from work um, and doing it there. And then, Um, in 2012, I took it, um, full time and it was a very terrifying experience because I'm like, Oh, I'm relying on myself to make money, relying on myself to do marketing, editing, post-production, anything and everything. And, um, it was really challenging. And there's a lot of things that I really fucked up along the way and lost a lot of money. (laughs) Um, It has taught me quite a lot, though, as being a small business owner of you know what to do and what not to do. Um, mm. So I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, one of the things I like to do is explore the the the, the how when it comes to setting up your own uh, business and so forth. What what are those important things that need to be taken care of, and what are the things that you can just sort of go, yeah, it doesn't matter that much. I shouldn't shouldn't be shouldn't be concentrating on that. I mean, the biggest thing for starting your small business
1: is just knowing the legalities of everything, knowing the tax laws, because honestly, that has been the biggest thorn in my side is just understanding tax laws. Um, And when I first started doing it, I didn't understand certain ways that my money had to be in certain places and I couldn't spend certain things, had to do estimated taxes every quarter and whatnot. And I just didn't do them appropriately. But I also wasn't filing appropriately either because I was filing as a... um, um, an LLC, but it was uh, personal. So I wasn't doing like an S corp or C corp or anything. Yeah. So it was a solid try business. Yeah. But and I, I, I was losing a- probably close to 40 or $50,000 a year just yeah. in like social security and Medicaid, Medicare. And then I got the smart idea from my account. He's like, you should really change over to an S corp. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds great. So I did that and I ended up saving about 30 or $40,000 a year. Nice. Nice. Um, and that was a huge huge deal for me, but it's also, you know, understanding the, the copyright laws as well, making sure you have everything trademarked that's yours. Um, and then also um, securing, you know, web addresses, things that, you know, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really think about in the, you know, in the past, I'm like, Oh, you know what, I, if I'm going to create a business, it needs to have a website and that website, you need to have a direct name that can be, you know, .com. So, yeah. um, and, and funny enough for my business, it took me seven years, not seven years, sorry, it took me about five years to get, right. um, district7.com. And I bought it off of a company that had been hoarding it since 2003. They wanted me to pay like $50,000 uh-huh. for the name. And they contacted me. And every year they contacted me, I told them the same thing. I'm like, listen, my max price is 1500. Come back to me. I'll make it happen. After like three or four years of them coming back to me, Hey, are you interested in district seven? I'm like, sure. 1500 bucks. And finally they came back and they're like, okay, 1500 bucks. And I was like, great. We've got a deal. Fantastic. So Um, I got my, my web address. I felt happy. Um, and then, and then, yeah, but there's also, you know, everything that comes with insurance as well. You just have to understand production insurance, equipment, insurance, workman's comp, um, starting, setting up payroll. And once you get there, you just feel like, Oh shit, I'm a legitimate business now. (laughs) You're just like doing everything, hiring people. (laughs) And it's, it's crazy. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my, I guess insight to owning a small business
0: (laughs) how did did you balance being all things though you know dealing with you know building your social media brand and marketing uh and you know do it doing the actual photography and doing the editing and you know and and getting out getting clients etc you know that that that's that's a big juggling act uh it's a
1: huge juggling act and I'm going to be honest, it's always been me. I've never done, hired anyone else to do anything else. I, yeah. I run my own website. I do the photography. I do the video. I do the editing post-production. I'll hire out for crew members. So if I need to have audio and secondary shooters and gaffers and grips and things like that, I'll hire out for that. Sure, but, sure, sure. You know, I've taken care of everything since day one. And, you know, 10 years in, I can definitely say, like, I'm glad that I've done it. But now I'm at that that point where I'm like, I'm probably going to hire some people to do this because... sure. sure. It takes way too much time and effort. I, I work probably 20 hours a day.
0: I was going to say, it sounds like you don't sleep. <laughs> I, d-
1: I don't. I'm up every morning at like 6 o'clock. I go to bed. I'm like an old man. I go to bed at like 9 p.m. And, um, you know, I start my day and just keep it going and, until it needs to, to end. So, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you've shot all over the world. What locations are still on your bucket list?
1: Oh, my God. You know, this is the weirdest thing. I've never been to Hawaii. Wow! And, okay. yeah. um, I've been, <laughs> I've been in some of the most obscure places all over the like, like the world, but you know, I've never been to Hawaii. So I'd like to go visit Hawaii. Um, love to visit the Azores and um, probably. Oh my God! Where is it? What's what's the desert in South America? Northern Hamal. It starts with a B. Oh my God! I'm losing it. Uh, I can't remember. It's where, wherever it is. It's where they have all the reflections in the sand. Colby Brown was just there. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, it's amazing. That's where I'd like to go to. I love reflections. I love sand and I love doing um, nighttime photography. So I'd love to, to go out there. Yeah. sounds
0: good. What's the furthest you've traveled to get the show? As far as like a production travel or like. Yeah. Well, I, either.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I trekked 10 miles into the grand Canyon to get some shots. Uh, of Havasu or Havasupai Falls um, in Arizona. Um, And that was a grueling trip. And I will never do it again because I was carrying about 70 pounds of gear in 110 degree heat or whatever that is like 40 degrees Celsius heat. And um, it was brutal and it was crazy. And the next thing, as far as flights go, I did a, not a nonstop, but I did a flight from here to Western China um, out near Mongolia. And that was about a 36 hour flight. And that was a pretty crazy flight. Um, The longest flight I've ever done though, was to a small Island in the middle of the Indian ocean, um, Diego Garcia. And that took two and a half days to get to. Um, And that was while I was in the military, but it was also a fantastic place to photograph and to document. And it's probably one of those places that you'll never be able to get back to, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Like white sand beaches, turtles, dolphins. It's, freaking amazing
0: so nice (laughs) nice um i guess one of the big things that's happened in the last couple of years is the pandemic and how's that sort of changed for your business or changed the way that you do business and how has it changed your attitude towards traveling and photography
1: Yeah. I mean, COVID-19 really screwed some stuff up. So, um, you know, it was really funny going into 2020, it was going to be our record year for contracts. We had over a million dollars worth of pre-approved contracts and literally whatever, two months into 2020, we lost everything. And, um, for 2020 and 2021, I think I had a combined income of a little over like $10,000 for two years. Um, and it was really detrimental to, uh, to the business. And it was, it was pretty scary thinking about what was going to happen after that. But, um, I decided to pivot towards doing more YouTube stuff, creating more YouTube content, doing more social media. Um, and that's actually proved to be a pretty viable, um, economic stream, um, at least for some smaller stuff. And if I could spend more time on it, it'd be great. But literally at the beginning or the end of 2021 in November, um, I just started getting, a ton of calls for productions for you know four or five different movies, TV shows, and then doing a lot of stuff with Sony, um, and it's literally been nonstop since November. Um, this is uh, I'm like literally, as you can tell, you know, it took us whatever two or three months just to get this thing, <laughs> this 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 podcast out. So, um, you know, I appreciate your patience doing that, but uh, it's just been a uh, it's been a crazy year.
0: It yeah, sounds it sounds it. What's the most memorable experience you've had while you're out uh, shooting? No idea. be honest, with
1: you. They're all <laughs> memorable experiences. Um, I, I think for me, the biggest experience that I can remember is honestly the food because I'm a big foodie and um, there's always different places. I just love, you know, investigating different cultures, trying different things that are culturally diverse from, you know, what I have here in the States. Um, and I think those moments are you know, the ones I remember the most. Um, but I think if there's any kind of one photography um, thing that's ever happened, I honestly couldn't answer it because there's so many. <laughs> there's, there's uh, you know, from being able to like get on top of the Washington Bridge uh, in New York City and, you know, shoot the entire New York City landscape with literally two inches of steel underneath your feet that you can see the cars whizzing by below uh, and you're up there for like three or four hours shooting was, was crazy and incredible at the same time. And getting to go a lot of different places. I think some of my most memorable uh, things, and they may be not in a positive, but they turned out to be positive, was when I was out in China for the first time. Uh, because we had spent you know, 33, 34 hours on a plane. We literally get off the plane in Western China. And as soon as we step off the plane, there's this old, probably like 80, 90-year-old woman. And she's literally you know, defecating out in the streets. And we're like, Oh, this is going to be a memorable shoot. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of crazy things, especially when we, by our first trip to China and um, you know, funny enough, I never really wanted to go back after that because I'm like, Whoa, there's so many bad things here. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and I literally said, if anyone ever asked me to go back to China to do something, I'm going to, you know um, you know, just go crazy with my prices and, you know, make sure everything is first class and five stars and, whatever somebody, somebody
0: agreed
1: yeah literally i'm not even joking like literally a month after i got back from china so another chinese production company contacted me and i was like okay here it's gonna be x amount of dollars like some exorbitant amount of money and you know first class tickets and everything and they're like yeah no problem that sounds great i'm like shit
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've gotta go
1: <laughs> i gotta go and I ended up going and it was probably one of the best trips I've ever been on and super memorable. Like, you know, i would never been to Shanghai before and getting to, like, I love cityscapes. It's probably one of my favorite things to shoot and getting first class VIP around, um, Uh, Shanghai, because this is going to be for the Chinese government. Basically, Um, Mm -hmm. we had access to anything and everything. And like, you want to go up on top of that building? No problem. Five minutes. We're up on top of that building. And um, it was a really crazy, amazing experience. Um, One that I probably won't see for quite some time now, given the political state of things. So it could, um, could be a wall. It could be a while, so we'll see what happens. But um, that was definitely a really fun experience, um, one that I always remember. Yeah. So in
0: terms of uh, where you live, how has that influenced how you shoot or what you shoot? I say where I live has influenced me in the sense that
1: I have become known as a very great DC photographer and cinematographer. So a lot of production companies already know me by name because I've worked on a lot of shows that are all DC-based. So that is very... You know, helpful and fortunate at the same time because um, people are like, oh hey, we need somebody to go out and shoot X, Y, and Z downtown Washington. No problem, I'm on it. And um, it's really afforded me a lot of opportunities to work with a lot of different post production houses and um, just production units in general. Yeah. Um, but a lot of my work really doesn't even revolve around DC. Usually, it's out of state or out of country. And um, I think it's one of the things I love about this job is it it can take you anywhere Mm -hmm. and you can see anything at any time. And it's just a really fun adventure.
0: Yeah. Nice. What about horror stories? Have you had anything that's been memorable in a bad way? And I don't want to, I don't want to bring back any post-traumatic stress, but
1: you know. Yeah. I think I actually got some PTSD from this shoot, but it was funny enough, another Chinese shoot. So I should say I've been to China probably a dozen times. And spent over a year and a half there probably. And I absolutely love it. But it also comes down to the people that you're with and the crew that you're working with. um, Because they also make or break it. And in one experience, I'm not going to name production companies or anything like that. We had a producer and a director that literally had no idea what they were doing. Um, They had us working probably 22 hours a day, every day for 30 days straight. And basically the crew kind of revolted on them and told them, Hey, you got to cut this shit out. We can't do these long hours. It's not, you know, we're losing sleep. We can't even function properly. And I remember telling them, I'm like, listen, even in our contract it States that we do 10 hour days, 12 hours at the most with overtime. And we were doing, you know, 20, 22 hour days. And we all submitted our bills for the client at the end and they were inflated by like 10 times. So a half a million dollar production turns out to be almost a $2 million production because they wouldn't listen to us and give us, you know, the the time that we needed to recuperate basically. Um, And they were upset (laughs) and they paid it though. Yeah. So um, that was probably one of the worst shoots I've ever been on though. Uh, And thankfully I would say 98% of all my other shoots have been fantastic. Like there's, there's really never been like a really bad shoot in my opinion,
0: except for that one. Yeah. So do you have a favorite location that you just keep getting called back to? And what is it? Why is that? I I
1: don't even, you you don't have to finish your sentence. I love New Zealand and I wish I lived there. I wish I was a citizen. It's just, (laughs) it's where I want to be. Um, But I love New Zealand because it just contains anything and everything you've ever wanted to photograph. Um, And I love visiting the South Island because you get deserts, you get glaciers, you get tropical rainforests, you get forests, you you get everything. And it's freaking amazing. Um, And it's something that you don't see in the States, really. Um, I think the closest thing we have up here really is, you know, Banff. Um, has some of the elements of new zealand uh and maybe iceland but those are all completely different in terms of like feel go. Yeah, um, yeah. but i just love new zealand like i that's where i want to be like my soul is like it just wants to be in new zealand so yeah i don't
0: i don't blame you i'm uh, i'm a little bit the same but, uh... yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you get pretty cheap flights there right well, cool. relatively, and uh, yeah. technically, I think I can go over there and work as well, which is nice. Can and, you? And, oh my uh, god! Australia That's and a- New Zealand have kind of this reciprocal like
1: uh, a cool special
0: thing. visa arrangement where you can just yeah. So there's quite a lot of Kiwis uh, living over here and uh, and working. Sure. It used to be a bit of a joke actually about uh, Bondi, you know Bondi Beach. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah here in Sydney, that, uh, you know, 90% of the population was from uh, New Zealand. From New Zealand. (laughs) There was a joke at the end with can can the last Kiwi to leave turn the lights out. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny. But I think there's a lot of Aussies going back over to uh, uh, in the other direction, though, simply because now, you know, particularly post-pandemic, you know, a lot of people are going, well, hey, I can actually work anywhere and work from anywhere and, uh, you know. If I'm gonna choose a lifestyle place to, to to go, New Zealand. Why not?
1: Yeah, yeah. New Zealand is a place to be, man. If I would oh, if yeah. it was fantastic wine and
0: food, fantastic. Oh landscape. my
1: god. It's fantastic. Everything. There's nothing wrong that <laughs> New no, Zealand does. No. No, no carnivorous animals or poisonous. Nothing. That's what's great. Yeah. Like you got some like bugs that like, or I forget like, like flies that bite you. That's about oh, it. Yeah, like, yeah. You
0: know, that's, that's the worst. It's yeah. not
1: bad. The only thing I wish this would make New Zealand the perfect country. If they just legalized marijuana, it would be <laughs> the best country in the world. Yeah, um,
0: maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they, maybe, will.
1: maybe they will. Oh my gosh. I was trying so hard to get citizenship, not citizenship, but we wanted to buy a house down there sure. and this is in 2017 and in 2018 they put out the statement saying no foreign owners Uh um, anymore. And I was like, shit. So (laughs) there goes my chance of like owning a property in New Zealand, but I don't know. You've never heard of
0: shelf companies.
1: (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) I got a couple of friends down there. We're kind of in the works of doing some stuff. See what happens.
0: That's the way. Never never give up.
1: (laughs) No, I won't believe me. If I, if I can move to New Zealand, I will. So, what do you learn about the world through photography? Everything. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a really hard question. I mean, I've learned quite a lot through. That's why photography. I asked it. <laughs> I think it's really honestly, photography isn't really about imagery to me. It's about creating and fostering relationships with other people, um, mm-hmm. going out there and really learning about what other people do, and then taking the information and the styles and the um, the things that they do, and kind of not replicating it, but you know, figuring out how it can like mix into your own work. Um, and really just kind of ping-ponging ideas off of people and I think that's what photography is great for because it's unique no one is no one will ever be named the greatest photographer in the world um, because there's no way to determine who the greatest photographer in the world is yeah yeah. and um, I think that's what makes it amazing because it's everything is unique everything is um, customized for every person so it's mm-hmm. one of yeah. the reasons I love photography
0: yeah I think you know people people's reaction to it is, you know, positive or negative is always right, right. going to be different because different people see the world in different ways. And absolutely. Yeah. You know, particularly when it comes to uh landscape, cityscapes, street, and an astro and those sorts of things, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it's going to evoke very different feelings depending on uh, that person's experience. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's great about it too is because absolutely. it is everything and anything so I want to move on to some of the how and talk a little bit about particular things that you do that might be a bit different. You know, you mentioned the, the, the Drew's, uh, you know, special sauce or whatever, you know, what, without giving secrets away, you know, what, what, are, what are some of those ingredients to the special sauce?
1: Well, I mean, I think the special sauce for me really comes down to a lot of different things. And it comes down to me in the first part is hardware. I'm a, a huge computer nerd, data nerd. I've got about 1.6 petabytes of server space that I have all of my imagery on. I've got two cats down here that are whining at me right now. Um, and I also um, love building computers and um, you know learning new things about different softwares and whatnot. And I think one of the biggest things that I think has been an advantage for me is just, sorry about that, my cat. I can't remember, uh, one of the biggest things for me is just uh finding new workflows that help enhance my my art. And whether that is learning a new program or actively going out and creating my own um kind of setup for things, um, it's kind of really what separates me, I think, from a lot of other people because I think there's a lot of great photographers out there, but there may not necessarily be a lot of photographers that know the ins and the outs of the post-production side as well yeah. when it comes to finalizing and um you know, really coming up with that, that perfect final image, um, for distribution. And, uh, for me really, I, for when it comes to, you know, even photography, I use uh, DaVinci Resolve and I was a big Adobe user for a long time Mm -hmm. and I really like Adobe. They have wonderful people, but they don't, they're not keeping up with their software. They're not keeping up with, um, current trends and they're really just falling behind in my opinion. Um, so, um, I've really moved on to other software that really works well for my workflow and one of the things I've really been doing a lot lately is just 8K and larger resolution um, cinematography and photography. Um, you know, I just worked on a project where we're doing um, 24K um, wow. projects with medium format cameras and, yep. um, you know, multi faceted shoot tape hey, film and all those things really like, you know, add up to, you know, what you can create and come up with. And I, I don't know if I, my special sauce really is just, I love looking at the, the color charts and my, um, color levels and really mm-hmm. making sure that they they align properly and i'm a huge uh proponent of you know having the highest quality image possible so i always want to shoot things at their highest bit rate and yeah um really retain all that beautiful information um <laughs> cat. um and and you know just go from there
0: cool what's your routine out in the field are you you know, uh, uh, non-commercial. Let, let's talk about personal photography. It's personal
1: photography? Okay, yeah. perfect.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, your routine in a commercial shoot is always going to be a little bit... Yeah,
1: different. there's always something like wonky, but I, yeah. you know, it's really funny uh, and probably sad at the same time. I don't go out as often as I used to uh, for like personal photography just because mm-hmm. I just haven't had time to do it because of oh. commercial oh. photography. Um, but when I do go out there, I really like to, you know, just be one with the landscape, be one with whatever area that I'm in, really kind of observe it for a while and see what's coming up and what's, you know, happening and then kind of dive in and be like, Ooh, this would be a cool shot over here. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'll switch out to this lens and do this or that. Um, so I don't really have a routine other than I just like to scope out the area first um, yep. and really kind of find out, um, you know, what I can create with it.
0: Yeah. What, what about uh, pre-planning? Are you spending, you know, a couple of hours, a couple of days, uh, you know what? Yeah, that completely
1: you? depends on the project. I mean, pre-planning for personal stuff is, you know, I'll do it up in the moment. But a lot of the production stuff that I do, uh, days, if not weeks, mm-hmm. of of pre-planning and going back and ensuring the lights there, doing light studies, um, and making sure that it's acceptable for what the client wants. So um, that does take a considerable amount of time. And um, I actually enjoy it though, because <clears throat> it allows me to see those things that, you know, I know are going to work and also see, allows me to see those things that I know won't work. Sure. Um, sure. So I can relay
0: that back to the client. Yeah. Have you ever hit a creative wall? Yeah. Every time.
1: I mean like every day it's a creative wall, you know, yeah. you got to find a way to climb over it. Uh, one of my biggest inspirations right now is working with uh, AI generated imagery. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been doing that for the last month or so. And it's been a huge inspiration boost um, because realistically what I'm doing is I'm telling the computer what I want to depict in the scene. And the computer then takes that word, uses that language to create the image. And some of the results that I've gotten from it are just out of this world. And I would say on par, they're pretty much Almost identical to not identical, but very similar to what I was thinking about in my head. So it really allows me to do a lot of great pre visualization. Um, I can share that with clients and say, hey, you know, we can get something similar to this or even, you know, copy this um, and then get an actual photo doing that. But that's one of the biggest inspirations to me. Um, that I've come across in the last couple of uh, months or so.
0: Okay. Where, where do you see things like AI going and you know, oh how, how far do you think that's actually going to eat into the professional photography world, particularly, particularly cinematography? You know, there's, there's a lot of CGI being used in, in the past. And I know, you know, there, there's been, I, I guess, quite a few conversations in the media at least about, sure. uh, you know, replacing actors and, you know, replacing cinematographers with uh, CGI and AI. I don't think we'll ever
1: replace cinematographers, but we will replace actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but AI is 100% going to be in our future when it comes to image generation for for still photography and for cinematography. Sure. Um, just because even, where, even the point that we're at now, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine seeing what happens when they actually dial it in and get it. So it's photorealistic and you can't tell the difference between a camera and the, the AI generated imagery and it's coming. I'll say that in the next five to six years, Mm
0: -hmm. we will have
1: that. And I think all photographers and cinematographers, they have to be ready for that because I don't necessarily think it's going to replace anybody, but I think it's going to make your job either more difficult or it's going to throw some, you know, you know, corkscrews or whatever into your, um in sure. your 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 workflow because it's going to be one of those things that is going to dominate the industry because a it's cheap and b anybody can do it it doesn't okay. require any talent whatsoever yeah. to do it. Um so I think there's I think there's reason to be a little I don't think scared is the right word, but apprehensive um for the technology but i think it can also lead to you know a lot of really wonderful things because you know just as i was saying before for pre-visualization for storyboarding if you can tell the ai what you think you'd like to make and it comes up with something that they it's randomly generated you can then piggyback off of that and actually create those scenes in greater
0: detail and more depth and
1: i think that's an amazing achievement and i really honestly can't wait for that
0: Mm, okay how do you, how do you see that fitting into things like uh, social media and Instagram? Because you know, if you get a an AI account that's uh, generating, uh, I mean, I guess, Grant, we're already there.
1: I mean, at, there's 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 plenty of bots out there that are all AI generated. There's plenty of forms that are and text and everything that's AI generated. And someone's just like, "Hey, go start a fight with this person using this context," and you tell the bot to go do it, and it does it. Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, that's the scariest aspect of it is because you don't know who is real um, Mm. or what is real on social media. And it tricks and fools a lot of simple minded people, um, as I would say, unfortunately. And that can lead to a lot of detrimental things, um, especially politically and uh, in your community. And I think it's one of those things we really have to be careful about. Um, So I kind of honestly hope they do rid or put in policies or something to prevent that from, you know, escalating to something, you know, catastrophic.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I guess I was less thinking about uh, some of the tech stuff, but uh, that's out there now, but more if you've got a uh, AI image generator that is set up to match the algorithm and what's going to trend on social media and it's pumping You know, that kind of content out, then how does it, how does a human compete against that? I mean, you'd have to ask to what end. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I
1: mean, that's a great question and one that will probably be answered very shortly, Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's with applause or by grumbles and, you know, middle fingers. And I I think it really, It depends on where you're at and who you're marketing. I, I think there's always going to be a need for photography and cinematography as it stands and, you know, relates to real people. But yep. um, I, I think there's also room for AI, too, because you can create cheap imagery doing that.
0: Yeah. And um, it
1: looks really good so far, <laughs> yeah. which is, yeah. you know, terrifying. I
0: guess for, for, for me, I, I, I kind of see art more as a human pursuit. Um, and for sure, and, you know, I know that uh, at some some stage we'll probably have to bend the knee to our robot overlords, but a hundred percent. I mean <laughs> every movie
1: we've ever produced about AI taking over the world will literally happen and yeah. And realistically, I don't want to go too down too far down the rabbit hole, but we probably are living in a simulation right now. Whereas AI is controlling everything that we do here, see, smell, everything. Sure, sure. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of credibility to it too, that that's where we, we've happened. Because if you think about it, what kind of civilization is going to last the longest in the universe? It's not going to be um, a flesh-based system because it deteriorates. It's going to be yep. metal. And honestly, AI is one of those everlasting, eternal kind of setups And I think if we were ever to do space exploration, it's going to be AI that goes out there and does it for us. And I think essentially that AI is going to become human and or or the sense of human as far as, you know, having a conscience um, and having free thinking. Um, But I think humans as we are now, we're not going to exist in the next two to three hundred years. I I can honestly see that happening.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. What do you see uh, within that two or 300 years? What do you see is the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? I hate to say, it, but it's, it's
1: climate change. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the biggest thing for photography is, you know, I just had a couple of production shoots, you know uh, that we were planning on doing out, you know, Yellowstone and Yellowstone yep. just had the giant floods and now the whole area is closed indefinitely until they get the roads fixed. Yep. Um, and that's a direct impact of climate change. And that's what we're going to start seeing around the world, in my opinion, um, are a lot of catastrophic events that are going to, you know, obviously displace people, but also halt productions, stop you from your vacation, stop you from going out there and producing stuff because the landscape is physically changing right in front of our eyes. Yeah. Um, and I think if we don't do something to counteract that, then not just photographers are going to be in trouble, the whole world's going to be in trouble.
0: Yeah, I think we're already seeing that definitely. Uh, you know some of the footage recently of uh, incidents in Italy with you know glaciers letting go, sure. and you know uh, both creating the the initial avalanche, but also you know the fact that that now that glacier now is a much shorter, therefore right. there's a lot less cooling going on in, right. in that area because it's about the, to get hot. <laughs> that, that ice isn't there, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, and, I feel
1: like, and aren't you guys getting like crazy flooding?
0: We well? have had crazy rain. Uh, back in March, we had okay. had a, an entire year's rainfall every, average rainfall uh, by by March, and wow. then in the last week or so, we did get a bit of respite for a little while. But we've yeah. we've had locations here that have had a one in one hundred year flood, as they call it. Uh, wow four times in the last two years i guess that's uh 400 years of flooding all right Mm, great that's pretty much yeah so it's uh it's been very very wet it's a real problem and i i totally agree that uh it's probably one of the biggest challenges facing mankind let alone photography um you know and yeah it's something that i think as photographers we've kind of got a bit of a responsibility to you know, mm-hmm. show people what's going on. And, uh, you know, hopefully that 1000% yeah, something will get done about it. You know, it's yeah, really got to be. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I heard someone describe it. If you, if this was a war, right. Our governments would be putting, you know, 110% behind oh, fighting it. For sure. If but, they could figure out a way to monetize it, they would make
1: it happen. Absolutely. Like, it's, yeah. it's the most ridiculous thing. It's like, Oh, you know, we're going to die here because we don't have enough, you know, oxygen or water or whatever. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Whatever. But the minute there's like, Oh, there's oil over in this country. Let's go over there and give them their freedom so we can get their oil. It's That's the stupidest, right. Stupidest fucking thing.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think, you know, if it, it is one way that we could actually uh, reverse, you know, it, it the, as, as we stand now, it is reversible, but right, it is. It yeah. would actually take that kind of war footing to for, for governments to say, okay, we're actually going to combat climate change in a realistic manner. And we're going to put the kind of industrial effort right. that right. we put into, you know, fighting one another into actually reversing climate change. You know? I
1: wish but, that was a thing. Cause that seems yeah, like, well, this, like this, that's this happening is the over here, man. It's like people fighting each other
0: over the stupidest fucking things. Yeah. He said, and, he said, she said, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's awful. Why, why are you arguing arguing about that when we're all going to die? You know. Right, right, right. Exactly. So fun, fun topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's pull ourselves out of that. A yeah, bit. yeah. Um, what do you like to do when you're not out shooting?
1: Man, I play video games. I going to be honest. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I love video games. I always grew up playing them. I used to play quite a bit with Colby Brown. Uh, I think you guys okay, yep. chatted before. So him and I play um And it's really, honestly, just a great stress reliever because I can zone out, go straight into whatever world or event that I'm playing. And I don't really have to think about anything else. And it's, it's really awesome. Um, But aside from that, I'm really into growing things. Um, I think in another life or even in this life, who knows, um, I'd want to be a farmer um, or a horticulturist um, and, you know, develop things.
0: You've answered Um, my next question, which was if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? Yeah. Well,
1: well, you know, funny enough, before I wanted to go into photography and videography, I wanted to be an architect.
0: Okay. um,
1: I love architecture and it's probably Mm. one of my favorite things to photograph, but um, I also love building and I love designing. So um, that definitely would have been either my second or third choice, but I really, I, I enjoy working with my hands too. So I think working in a, on a farm would be pretty awesome too. Sure. Sure. Who do you go to for advice? Oh, man, this is going to sound dickish. I don't really go to anybody for advice. That's okay. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> some people like, do, some I mean, people don't. I don't know if that sounds pompous or something. Like, there's there's other photographers that I'll talk about, but I'll honestly do my due diligence and research a lot of stuff on my own um, and then make up my own opinion based on that or yeah. make my own assessment, I should say.
0: I don't think there should be any shame in self-reliance, you know, if you sure. You know, if, if, if you're comfortable making your own decisions without uh, asking for advice, then that's great. Yeah. Okay. So are there any other photographers out there that you think I should be talking to?
1: Yes. There are two photographers in particular that I think you guys should be talking to or you should be talking to. Um, the first one, and I will talk, I really don't know how to say her name. Um, her name is uh, Nicole Skisorsky. Okay. Uh, S i k o r SKI. And, um, she is a fitness photographer and I've kind of seen her journey over the past two years go from, you know, just a simple camera and a lens to like full lighting setups and everything. And she does an incredible job. And mm-hmm. I think she's probably an amazing up and comer. Um, and she does a really great job. And the next one is, uh, what's his is, uh, Pablo Piedra P I E D R a. And he's a, uh, macro photographer but he does a lot of insect stuff um so he does focus stacking or image stacking um with images but then also animates them as well and it's probably one of the coolest things i've seen and he does an incredible job that he's also a former um i think army or air force guy Mm -hmm. and um he's doing this down in costa rica he's got a whole studio he just started up for himself and he's you know making a really a big name for himself and i'm really proud of him uh, and, uh, using a lot of wonderful things. So if you get a chance to talk with him, I would definitely, um, suggest it.
0: All right. Thanks for that. I've got one more, uh, question. And for some who listen, it's probably the most important one. Do you like yeah. pineapple on pizza?
1: Uh, you know, funny enough, uh, I, I like pineapple on pizza. It's fine. It's, uh, it's it, it, during my, my, my stints over in China, um, there were little pockets of pizza parlors. And by pizza parlors, I mean, pizza hut. And I don't know if you've ever been over there to pizza hut in China, but it's like a five, it's a five star dining restaurant compared to like the one star that it is in the state. And the best pizza they have there is a pineapple pizza and it is absolutely delicious. And I'm not ashamed to say it. So, you know what, screw it, you know?
0: all power to you <laughs> that's
1: right I, pineapple's not for everybody on their pizza but i'll tell you no, what, i'm it, not I, I don't mind it it's okay
0: I, I haven't done the numbers but i'm i'm pretty sure it's uh, fairly equal there's there's a few neutrals I, i'm a neutral if it's okay if it's there i'll eat it if it's not on the pizza i'm i'm happy if i yeah, if i I'll, order one i'll go with
1: that too i'll tell you what i'm not going to actively go out there and search for pineapple on pizza but i'll eat it on a pizza <laughs> it's not bad
0: brilliant <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me today. Absolutely. Tonight for you, Drew, Uh, it's been really good getting to know you and uh, learning more about how you do what you do. Where can people find your work? Yeah, people can find my work at
1: district7.com or if you guys search YouTube for uh, District 7, you can find my uh, my channel there or on Instagram at, at Drew Giggity.
0: Fantastic. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me, Grant. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work and this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com, also on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne and hope to see you out shooting soon.